Welcome to the Good Research Podcast, where we talk about those topics that most interest you, helping you make your research study the best it can be. And now, here is your host, Dr. Lauren Seifert. episode two of Good Research. I'm Dr. Lauren Seifert, and in episode one, I described four critical questions that help investigators explore and establish their assumptions for research. We'll return to the four basic questions in a bit, but for now, let's assume that you have made your responses to them and want to move on to develop your research question. What is a research question? When I teach research methods in the behavioral sciences, my beginning students often confuse the research question with survey questions that they want to ask participants. A research question, or RQ, is not a question that is asked of research participants. No. Instead, it is the big overarching question that a researcher wants to answer in her or his study. Your research question is fundamental. It is a fundamental building block of your good research project. As I discussed in Good Research Episode 1, you should construct your research question after you have determined your responses to the four key questions about ontology, epistemology, generalizability, and reflexivity. Your responses to the four key questions pave the way for you to build your RQ and a good research project. For instance, if I'm interested in the time course of Alzheimer's disease, the research question for my study might be, in general, how long does Alzheimer's disease progress from the time a person is diagnosed to when he or she dies of the disease or complications from it? Notice that this is not a question that I will ask research participants. Instead, whatever data I collect will be designed to help me figure out the answer to my RQ. And I may need to approach the measurement issue using two or more techniques in order to get a good answer to my research question. Sometimes an investigator will begin with a very general research question. For instance, what is the progression of Alzheimer's disease? And the general RQ can lead one to brainstorm about what he or she will study. And it can be refined as the person reviews the existing literature. This should lead to the development of a more specific research question that indicates what will be measured and how. In our more specific RQ about how long Alzheimer's disease progresses from diagnosis to death, the question alludes to what we might measure, time, and when we might begin to measure and end the measure, at diagnosis and at the individual's death, respectively. 
Thus, constructing a research question that is specific enough to be answered in your study is important. In addition, I will point out that no research study can prove a thing. Each research study simply helps us as we try to find evidence that either supports or doesn't support our predictions. In episode five, we'll come back to the idea of predictions and how to generate those. For now, you should practice coming up with good research questions. Again, you may start with something general, but you'll need to refine it so that it is answerable within the context of your study. At this point, I'd like to move us from developing research questions to thinking about types of research. Each one of the types of research that I'll describe here is either more likely to be descriptive or to be explanatory. Those that are descriptive can indicate relationships among things, variables, or factors in a study, but they cannot tell us about causes and effects. Only explanatory studies can indicate cause and effect relationships. So let's get started with descriptions of some basic data collection methods. And again, these are typically called types of research. Observational research, generally speaking, involves no manipulation of variables by the researcher. He or she merely watches, listens, and observes behaviors and records information about them. Naturalistic observation, or NO, includes watching, listening, documenting, while the subjects are in their usual environment or in a specific environment. In one variety of NO, called observation of public behavior, the researcher watches and or listens to behaviors that occur in public. In participant observation, the researcher takes part and documents his or her experiences and observations as an insider. This is a non-experimental technique. It is descriptive. A case study involves research about one person or a small group. Case studies can be non-experimental, quasi-experimental, or rarely experimental, depending upon whether there is a manipulation of variables and some other issues. But in general, case studies are descriptive. Surveys are descriptive as well. A survey might include paper and pencil questionnaires, face-to-face -face interviews, phone interviews, focus groups, online surveys, even computerized balloting. Surveys aim to collect information directly from people by asking for their responses to questions or their reactions to them. Surveys are usually non-experimental but they can be used in quasi-experimental and true experimental studies. When they are used in the latter, it is typically done so in order to collect measures on specific variables. But overall, surveys are regarded as descriptive. 
quasi-experiments or pseudo-experiments utilized naturally occurring variables like age, weight, height, gender, etc. to categorize subjects. The potential influences of naturally occurring variables on other variables like behaviors might be studied. Quasi-experiments include less control overall than do true experiments, and they are typically regarded as descriptive. True experimenters involve, pardon me, I meant to say true experiments. True experiments involve researcher control and manipulation of various aspects of the environment of variables, and we call these independent variables. And this is done in order to find out how they will affect something else, like a person's behavior or a non-human animal's behavior. The thing we measure to look for the effect is the dependent variable. Now, generally, in a true experiment, subjects are randomly assigned to conditions if it's a behavioral sciences study. And true experiments are explanatory. In addition to the ways that data might be collected, whether observational case study, quasi, or true experiment, we have to consider whether the focus is on numeric data and their analyses, or on narrative or visual data and their analyses. Uh, if we're using numeric data and analyzing them, then the study is quantitative. When a researcher collects narrative or visual data and analyzes those, then the methods are qualitative, because they emphasize the qualities of things rather than their quantities. Qualitative studies often involve reporting basic percentages of various qualities, but don't be fooled by that. This custom does not mean that the study is quantitative. In fact, this tradition of reporting saturation levels or percentages of various themes in a qualitative study should not be confused with quantitative analyses. No, instead, this custom is referred to as quantitization of qualitative data. Now, if a researcher collects both quantitative and qualitative data and uses both qualitative and quantitative analyses and interpretation, then the researcher is using mixed methods. I'll note that mixed methods generally involve some effort by the researcher to integrate the two different types of data and analyses. So that's a very important part of mixed methods. Now, on the other hand, if a researcher does not collect both types, but uses qualities and quantities at some point, whether in data collection or in analyses, then the project is not mixed Instead, it is called multi-method. 
you will most likely have guessed by now that there are a lot of ways to combine methods. For instance, a project might be a case study that involves direct observation of a particular person or situation, and in which qualities and quantities are noted by the investigator. Such a study would be observational and a case study, right? So we would call it an observational case study, but it also employs mixed methods. So all of these things should be described when one is describing the research methods in the study. Such a study is fundamentally descriptive. Now let's say we have a researcher who randomly assigns participants to conditions in order to administer water with caffeine or without it. Half of the participants would receive one beverage and the others would receive the alternate beverage. Furthermore, the researcher might use a survey to measure anxiety before and after the beverage is consumed. Now, this project is a true experiment with collection of quantitative data that are likely to be quantitatively analyzed in order to evaluate the potential cause and effect relationship between caffeine and anxiety. So the study would be called explanatory. From these examples, you can gather that methods can be combined in many different ways. And in my experience, this is one of the things that most confuses students. Therefore, it's worth it for you to treat each method as a vocabulary term, memorize it and its characteristics, and this will save you a lot of trouble later on. Now that we have Put together the basic building blocks of good research. We'll be looking back at the four key questions when we move on to good research episode three. As we do so, it will help you to determine your preferred research orientation. Do your answers to the four key questions indicate that you're a traditional conventional scientist? Or maybe you're an action researcher. Perhaps you're interested in phenomenology or grounded theory or critical realism. Or maybe you love it all and take various orientations with multiple methods. In episode three, we'll explore these ideas so that you can figure out where you are with respect to your research orientation. Thanks a bunch, and I'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Research. To find more episodes like this, go to www.clovepress.com and click on the resource link. Have a great day.